The year is 1984. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. I got it this time. Hello. Unless, unless you have... I'm unless just saying, hey, one. you can take it. Oh. <laughs> Hello, Dave. <laughs> okay. Hello, and welcome to My Marvelous Year, the comic book reading club where we take you through all of Marvel from its origins to today. I'm Zach, the comic book journeyman, alongside Dave, the comic book, I guess, master. Okay. <laughs> uh, we're going to cover all the Marvel best... In most important Marvel comics. Wait, I don't. I got, I got lost. I'm you with often Dave do. Today. It's okay. Hey everyone. I mean, I journeyman is that's like you know what they say about a yeah, vet decided, who's been I, on a lot of teams, you know, and is just like he's bounced around the league a bunch. No, no, but this he's is in the like career. The uh, the electrician, you know, like tradesman. Way, you know, you go from apprentice journeyman to uh, master. Okay. Is that how that- Okay, so you're yeah. learning your I decided craft. today, Yeah, I, I leveled up today. I'm tired of being the comic book newbie. I'm the comic book journeyman today. Okay, you've decided you've leveled yeah. up. That is how it yeah, typically that, that, works, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. you just walk in and say, like, certify me, I'm ready. And right. like, oh, okay. And they're like, and a little tear in the corner of their eye. They're like, I knew this day would come when you'd walk in and decide you were ready and demanded of mm-hmm. me. All right, yep. well, you know what? I think fair enough. You can be a journeyman. Because you've read over 20 years of Marvel Comics, as has the My Marvelous Year Club at this point. Here we are in 1984 in Marvel publication history. Now we are entering an era where you have not before read many of the comics that we're going to be talking about. Is that this, correct? This might be the last year. Yeah. 84 might be the last year. I have still read, like everything we read today is familiar. But um, we're getting there. We're get- So ironically, you've got your credentials just in time to be as out of your element as you've ever been, um, but I think in the best way. And and if yeah. we're being honest here too, you know we've recorded. I, I don't. We don't number these podcasts, but we've been doing this recording for well over a year now, almost a year and a half. Yeah, something like seventy-five episodes. Yeah. So thanks to those of you who have been on this ride with us for the entire time. Thanks to those of you who Speaking have been of for, journeymen going on this journey with these men. Really, huh? just <laughs> really, just ruling out the the um, <laughs> opposite gender or other non-binary. No, no, I, there. I was saying us. You're going on a journey with. These oh, women, talking us. about us. Okay, that's better. Yeah, yeah, that, that's yeah. better. All right, no. I get confused. <laughs> no, no. I mean, any any gender can uh, come on this journey with these men. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Sounds, sounds great. It makes it makes perfect sense. No, it does. <laughs> it was better. Yeah. You no, know, you're right. That was a rare instance. So as you know, uh, I don't know where I'm going with this, but uh, anyway, thanks for everybody for listening. And it's been a long ride, and here we are. And Zach just leveled up. So it took a year and a half, but I think in another year and a half, when we get to, I'm gonna estimate. Okay, a year and a half from now would be um, approximately October 2021. I think at that point we'll probably re- be reading Marvel Year uh, 1996. That's my guess. Okay. To, gi- to give you some sure. estimated context for the pace 
at which we're moving because we're moving these uh, gears into more and more chunks. This is 1984 Part 4. It's my long-winded way of getting to that. We are following up a Dean's List episode, a very special episode, back to our regularly mm-hmm. scheduled comics that I have curated. Um, and I got to say, Zach, I don't... There's some great stuff in here, definitely, uh, but mm-hmm. probably your pick of Marvel Fanfare number 15 remains my favorite single issue <laughs> that we've read um this, i mean like if in a while genuinely if you w- wanted to say like a single issue that is completely you know, detached from a larger story blah 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 like just as a hand one fun issue to somebody with absolutely no context yeah i mean you do need knockout, you yeah. need to you need to have an appreciation and a knowledge of ben and johnny i sure. think not yeah, not to understand true. it but to enjoy it i would guess yeah yeah as you know? much yeah sure. um but anyway here we are part four we're gonna again like we're moving probably you know it's gonna take us like a month and change to get through each individual year of marvel now so it should give you plenty of time those of you who are reading along in the club if you're just listening mm-hmm. along it's gonna give zach and myself more time uh to analyze the comics that we are talking about and frankly to stay sane instead of just trying to plow through a gazillion comics so I think uh, I was doing some some road mapping, and we'll probably not make it through all of the 80s by the end of 2020, <laughs> if that makes sense. Really? Um, okay. So I think that will probably Wild. roll over into 2021 just because of some events and things that are going to take a little bit longer. But trust me, it'll, it'll result in a better product, and it, I do think it will result in a better read-along for those of you, again, who are doing so. And... If you've been reading along this whole time or you're new, um, thanks everybody who has supported and is considering supporting over on patreon.com slash my marvelous year. If you like the show and uh, you do not you know, have the means or, or simply don't want to support financially, uh, we would also really appreciate just like sharing with friends or going over to iTunes and rating and reviewing. That goes a long way. I've seen some new ones come in lately and it's super yeah. encouraging. Um, it, it keeps Zach and myself, keeps us upright keeps us upright instead of that it's the only thing that gets me out of bed position. yeah days. right like zach wakes up checks his phone any new reviews today and then it's you nope. know it's off to the races and nope and the answer is usually no nope. i take and then i take one more wait mate and then i wake up in 24 hours do i get a new review hey, hey look at this and he can get out and, uh, of his bed yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it, it, it does mean a lot um so okay that's my long-winded spiel uh zach do you have any uh business before we get to the comics mm, speaking of it was it was a direct question. You don't Speaking need to transition out of it. Business. Yeah. Um Now I did rescind man, your have, I was reminded a, I rescinded child, your transition sure. duties. Childbirth um, really seems like oh, tough business. Good. To oh, barf. Oh. For this issue in particular? Oh yeah, well, I guess Gross. Yeah, I guess this issue uh, you monster. This is an inappropriate issue. Bad bad form. <laughs> you scolding yourself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we are uh, we're talking today about Fantastic Four 267 and 268. We got Amazing Spider-Man 258. We got a good old Thor Casket of Ancient Winters by Walt Simonson. And then we got a huge chunk of Captain America aka the House of good, the Skull. Good batch of comics. Yeah, real good like, batch of comics. Real real high uh, average. Had an average on this batch. Definitely. So issue number one is is two sixty seven Fantastic Four. We are continuing into the John Byrne written, drawn, and inked era. This issue is colored by Glennis Ween. We got letters by Michael Higgins, edits by Bob Budansky. And so I remember this issue quite vividly. Um, mm-hmm. The premise here is Sue is ill. Susan Storm is pregnant and ill. And as 
frequently becomes members of the Richards family. We've seen this with Franklin before. Uh, they get sick of cosmic radiation and Reed can't quite crack the nut, right? He can't actually science his way to figure out what's wrong. He's bringing in all sorts of experts. Nobody can figure out what's wrong with Sue. So they finally... Including the expert, the panel of experts, just got to point this out. It's yeah. Bruce Banner. Yeah. It's Walter Still, Ling- still Ling- relatively... Um, intelligent right like he's not right like yeah. when he hulks out he still kind of knows what's going on yeah walter lankowski aka sasquatch sasquatch and <laughs> well that's a pretty that's a pretty good chewbacca right i didn't know you had that that's in my there. sasquatch yeah. oh, that's good um and Mo- mobius morbius what is it dr morbius so, yeah yeah living vampire but like in his human form i guess if I guess mobius drew a morbius comic i people would lose Ooh. their minds how about how about this yeah. If Morbius, if Mobius drew a Spider-Man comic with Moby in it, <laughs> <laughs> no, I just did you too. Never mind. That's that, not was not Mo- that was not that was not that was a Moby remix, maybe. What's a what's a Moby song? I don't. Uh, uh, M&M's without me. I... No, that's a bad example. Okay. Yeah, I don't know Moby song. All right. So anyway, yes, Sue Sue Storm is sick from radiation. This happened like three or four issues ago. The the exact moment that Reed Richards came back from Secret Wars, like him and. Uh, Sue hugged and immediately <laughs> a big blast of radiation yeah. came uh, and uh, popped out. That's why I don't um, hug. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't, I mean, you hug your wife, you're asking for trouble. That's, yeah, no, for sure. Like on our wedding, I was like, let's, we got separate hotel rooms. <laughs> <laughs> we had to keep our distance. <laughs> um, the, uh, yeah, She-Hulk is here. They uh-huh. immediately like kind of do a nice little thing from her perspective, talking about like her place in the Fantastic Four. You know, she thinks this is a way to get respect, which she feels like she's somewhat lacking and like hasn't been able to prove herself to her full capabilities, which is nice. I really like She-Hulk through these. Yeah, as we remember well, from well Secret Wars, yeah. Ben is still in space. Yeah, and uh, John Byrne does a good job with She-Hulk's voice. I can kind of see why he wanted to like carry this character on. Yeah, um, and keep working with her because um, I think he like finds something interesting about her and is able to characterize her well. I think um, I I think this is going to play a role in the conversation around this issue as well. But Burn, we've been giving him more flack lately. I think for the fact that he is a creator with problems, definitely. Um, and I think it's uh, one thing I'm kind of realizing too. And this a lot of this stems from uh, I have this really excellent series, not. I'm not writing on a comic book herald um, called Historia about Wonder Woman. And mm-hmm. this most recent round, Riddish, uh, the writer, got to the John Byrne era of Wonder Woman in the 90s. And it yeah, kind of dawned yeah, on me, that. not for the first time, that like he's a really popular... It's very popular to dislike John Byrne right now. Yeah, I I, I guess so. Because like I'm kind of like, man, his batting average is very high yeah. for me. Like, like if you're John of Byrne, age... John Byrne has one big glaring thing which is that he likes to have that gap in his age relationships. That but, like, we haven't actually read that much of that. Yeah, I mean, there was a little of an alpha flight. Um, I don't think that Fantastic Four one happened yet. Besides that, which that is an issue, like, uh-huh. for sure, that's a big issue. I even think, like, the way he writes women is much better than most comic book writers. Even at this time, he writes, like, the voice of female characters pretty well for yeah. me, to me. Um like, I don't think Sue Storm has never been more compelling, has never felt more like a real person. Like, the, I read the issue, we didn't read it for the club, but, like, I read the issue where um, Reed is gone for Secret Wars, and she's just, like, home alone, pregnant, and yeah. it's great. Like, Sue Storm is a really interesting character, and just spending time in her head, um, as John Byrne writes it, is really good. So, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, maybe we haven't 
read his downfall downturn rather well no it's it's um, a thing that comes later um and that's that's where i was going is like if you're a critic if you're of age to be a contemporary comics critic <laughs> like now yeah. you know which would mean you're in your 30s to early 40s probably is kind of like the wheelhouse of you know like vocal critics at this point um you've only seen bad john Byrne, like like in your lifetime sure, essentially yeah. so you yeah. won't like and he kind of does to it in very different ways but like you know we talk about this too like frank miller same sort of thing where it's like yeah if you just like stopped reading their yeah. comics after 1991 you'd be totally yes. good except yeah, burn i think frank is Miller's, even well miller i think there, there's comparison. Like, like Sin City, I think, is like has the occasional exception. Like, Sin City remains very interesting to me. Um, Burn, mm-hmm. there's like, like all his stuff post like She Hulk is kind of rough. Um, but anyway, and he's also like, he's done himself no favors in terms of just being like making awful Outspoken, comments about yeah. political and social issues. So it, yep. I, I don't think yep. it's unjustified to criticize him, certainly, but I, I do think it's interesting sort of that that perspective that you can have of him now, mm-hmm. but when you're still just stuck in 1984 reading these comics, it's like he's clearly one of Marvel's best. I mean, like, unquestionably, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think so. So here's a question for you. This, this comes up a lot um, in the same sort of conversation. There's talk about Marvel sort of courting JB, now, like in 2020, like like bringing him back mm. to do some work. My thought on this is always that's a terrible idea. Why would you do yeah. that? He's been retired. Like <laughs> you know, it's like it's like getting a like an NFL player who retired 30 years ago. You know, yeah. It's like why would you? I mean, think they could come back at a high regardless level, regardless of the fact that he hasn't written anything good in a while and his public persona is troublesome. Um, he's 70 years old, and with literally one exception in the comic book world i can think of a creator who uh is still working at a high level at that age yeah and that's alan moore like i, I for whatever reason and i don't know what that is well like, he's retired people know well, I mean, yeah he just retired yeah but i don't know um comic book writers seem to age out of the uh the field and like don't have great returns when they come back in their later years walt uh, simonson exception that's true. Give me that Ragnarok. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is that is true. Yeah, I mean that that's a generalization. I don't know if I'd really back that up, but um, yeah, I don't know. There's some. I, I mean, I I'm not particularly interested in John Byrne in 2020 working in Marvel. Um, but I but, but I do uh, sort of feel weird being like, yeah, I I, I like his comics though. <laughs> They're good. Um, so, but well, 267 it, I mean, it, is, yeah, is an interesting yeah. one. I it's I the expected same thing of like going to bat for Frank Miller. I mean, well, that's not that's that, a much easier. Same, that's a much easier thing to do, I would say. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, Frank I, I Miller, when he to... when he is on during this period, he is he excels. I mean, he's the oh, I mean, he's I the agree, but you I, know I the one A like... of the era or the one yeah. B. Like, okay, yeah, let's 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 move on from this because yeah, I think I think you and I are in alignment on this. Yeah. Um, um, so two sixty seven, it's all building to read. Uh, read in the scientist, they align on needing the help of Doctor Otto Octavius. And he is the only one who can understand the cosmic radiation that might help them understand Sue's condition, right? So they go to, um, or Reed goes to find Doc Ock in a, um, I guess, a psych ward. Um, mm-hmm. It's a yeah. you know prison, but for the the mentally um, unfit. What's the word here? I'm looking for. Um, Doctor Ock is psych ward. He's in a psych ward. <coughs> okay, thank you. Yeah. And uh, he is like not himself. You know, he seems childlike. He seems innocent. His arms are taken from him. He's not the sinister, <laughs> cackling scientist villain that we've known in the past. Um, yeah. The doctor, 
that's observing Reed and him thinks Reed plays him like a fiddle, plays to his ego and says, you're the only one who can help us. Please come along. Mm -hmm. And everything seems to be going smoothly. Uh, There's also a really corny detail in here where the doctor's like, you know, Otto, he's really rehabilitating. Reed's got him on this project. Like, things are going great. And then you see that Dr. Octopus, while he's been sitting in his cell, has been making origami octopuses. Oh, my dun, God. Dun, what? Dun. <laughs> yes. I love <laughs> I love people taking Doc Ock's nickname super literally, a la mm-hmm. Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 1, when he pretends to be an octopus to fight Spider-Man in a, in a giant I will fight water. you in my homemade fishbowl. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, that's hilarious. Yeah, that the idea that Doc Ock would constantly just be carving or just, like, sculpting octopuses out of, like, household materials, also super goofy. So th- this issue is kind of strange because Reed brings him back on the way back. His arms get summoned out of whatever, like, military holding base they were in. Yeah. Like, kind of subconsciously, even. And they fight Reed for a while. They slip back on Dr. Octopus. He kind of, like, lashes out and he's just like, oh, you know, you brought me here to prove something about your ego, right? Like, you were going to humiliate me. You know, he's just kind of slightly delusional about this. And yeah. Reed talks him down again, which I love. I love this scene. Like, Reed Richards is like, you know, look at me. I'm being honest with you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to let you go. I'm really asking for your help. I love that. I love that scene. Yeah. Really works. The weird thing about all this is it doesn't seem to matter because they get back to the hospital and we find out that Sue has had a miscarriage. Yeah. Which, before we get into all that, I just want to say one of my favorite tropes in superhero comics. Mm -hmm. It's not even a trope, just occurrences in superhero comics. Um it's not superheroes crossing over into each other's comics. It's villains from different comic books crossing over into different comics. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things to have happen. I, I don't know. For whatever reason, I always think that's a ton of fun. Way more than seeing, like, Spider-Man in a Fantastic Four. Seeing a Spider-Man villain in a Fantastic Four issue. Yeah. It's just like... That, that always gets me. I think um, I would agree, actually, with that. Um, although, it, like you said, yeah. in this instance, uh, Doc Ock's presence is generally meaningless it's johnny confronts reed compelling in the moment but you're just kind of left at the end like oh why why i mean it's not <laughs> what was the point of that i i don't know that Mid- i necessarily have a problem with that structure of it um or anything yeah, like just... it's not i don't know it, this is the story that that burn had decided to tell so it's yeah there's no there's no right time i guess um i i kind of anticipated knowing the outcome here to hate this a second time uh, mm. reading it through and I have to say I did not so I was kind of thinking like yeah. I've definitely made the argument on my Marvelous year that I'm more in favor of comics interjecting sort of real world issues but also just like things that happen in real life and I, I think we've kind of gone back and forth on like if the comic's not prepared to deal with it though then it just shouldn't touch it so I definitely had that mm-hmm. thought of like do we does it really make sense to interject a, a miscarriage and the tragedy of that into the lives of the cosmic adventuring Fantastic Four, where the next issue is going to open with, you know, like uh, a cover that says the mask of doom exclamation point. Like there's mm-hmm. a tonal inconsistency to that where it's like, yeah. that's not, that's not the book. The book is not slice of life, real life, grim and gritty, right? Grim and gritty is the wrong word in tragedy. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, like so I kind of tragedy. Right? I kind of thought that might be where I netted out, and actually, I think where I did net out was it's a terrible thing to have happen to anyone, you know, in anyone's life. Um, it's also excruciatingly common. Y- one thing you find um, mm-hmm. is like yeah. 
it happens a lot. It happens to a lot of people, and yeah, people don't like to talk about it, it yeah. right? Because yeah. it's it's a terrible thing, like miscarriage. So it, the fact that it's put in here as like, hey, this is a thing that happens, and the Fantastic Four aren't above it, they aren't beyond it, um, they're going to react emotionally to it, and you're going to see that, because we do see that. It's not like it just fades away. Um, it doesn't bother me the way I expected it to. I, what did you think? Uh, I'm somewhere in the middle. So I think I think the way that John Byrne writes the actual event happening, and I think when he is writing about people reacting to it, I think it is good and fine. Like, I think he responds to it respectfully, unlike something... I, Okay, so to compare it to um, Hank Pym and Janet Van Dyne and Hank hitting Janet, okay, where they yeah. had that happen, and then they did not want to talk about it, and they didn't want, want to actually yeah. mention it anymore, right. right? It's an event, it's around, but they just kind of skirt around the issue. This talks about it, obviously, right? Like, the characters are mourning, they're talking about it, but, like, not much. And that's the weird thing about me about it to me. Is that the next issue opens and it's like two pages of Reed and Sue talking, and then it just turns into like, okay, here's the She Hulk's backstory, here's the Doctor Doom side story, we're all moving on, and it kind of weirdly is just like, I, we want to do this, but we also don't want to really linger on it. That's really my issue with it is like we just get back into superhero stuff way too quick, and it's like, yeah, I I feel like you could have just dealt with it more. Like everything he did have dealing with it felt you know uh, mature enough in tone to actually right. be talking about it. So I had no problem with the way he was discussing it as it was happening. I just kind of was weirded out mostly that like, okay, so this is like uh, Johnny Storms giving She-Hulk, you know, access to the Baxter building. And uh, we're dealing with Dr. Octopus getting returned to the psych ward. And we have to talk about that. That's, you know, three or four pages. Like that mm-hmm. storyline gets more time here than the miscarriage. Um, and then I think you could also, you know, pretty easily make the argument that, like, you almost see more of Reed's reaction to it than you do Sue. Yeah, you know, I like thought miscar- the same on that Miscarriage does impact everybody in the family, right? This is a tragedy for everyone, not just Sue. But it is also, uh, you know, a special layer of personal to Sue. And to have, like, a little bit more focus on her would be nice. So, um, but yeah, no, generally this was not, like, this didn't feel you know, like a disaster. It wasn't a cringy mess or anything, and I don't think it's totally insensitive. It's just kind of odd that he did that and then seemed to, like, move on real quick. Yeah, I um, do. I, it's that sort of impossible balance, you know, where if if issue 268... Because the one thing it does is it, it allows the reader to sort of move past that and not deal with... and not mentally or emotionally deal with the consequences as well. Yeah, because suddenly right. it's just like... Ooh, Human Torch and She-Hulk versus just the Mask of Doom. And that's pretty fun. Right? Yeah, all the stuff works that it moves on to. It's just that you're yeah. kind of like, yeah, but wait, isn't everyone still... Like, are we not talking about this anymore? And, and I, I mean, there, there is, is a reality, though, gonna... that, like, Johnny and She-Hulk's conversation wouldn't be just, like, about Sue having a miscarriage. Like, they would move on, and you would talk about other things. And it, it's still there, and it's still lingering, and you're feeling it, but it's like, you would, like, try to distract yourself. You know, yeah. So I, yeah, I, I just don't get that. You know, like their dialogue is not strongly about that, right? You know, like, yeah. It doesn't feel, you know, it kind of just feels like. And here's the room where we keep all our artifacts. Oh, this is Doctor Doom's mask. He always comes, you know. It just kind of feels like it moves on a little bit too quick. But you know, also maybe we can read more of this series, and he keeps picking up. I, these I was gonna say I haven't read. Yeah, I haven't continued reading it yet. Um, during this recording, I know I did in the past. I don't remember offhand how. How like because because there's a part of me that's like if you're not going to touch on it that much actually then why yeah. do it right and and the 
then it's yep. just like, well, you just did it because you didn't want to have a baby around in your stories, right? So then it becomes kind of gross, I think. Um, I, I don't know that that's even the case. I Again, I yeah, haven't reread these in a while. That, but, uh, but at yeah. this point, just these two issues, like, they're, like, pretty well executed. And again, like, I thought yeah. 267 yeah. was going to bother me more than it did. It actually doesn't. Um, I'll be curious to hear, like, who, people who are reading along with us if this felt like a... If it felt like I don't know, like too heavy for Fantastic Four, um, or if it's kind of earned, yeah, know, maybe that too, the, right? Because yeah. it's because it is yeah. almost like a twist surprise ending, which is kind of the nature, I guess, of that result. But like, I, that's kind of a weird yeah, thing to know. end a comic I, with. I, I don't know if it felt like a twist to me. I mean, it felt like it didn't feel like you know he tried to mislead you. There's several pages of something's wrong. You know, I mean, he built it up for a little bit of drama and tension, I guess. Well, it's, I mean, um, it's 20 pages of Reed and impact. Doc Ock coming to the rescue. Yeah. And then but the, 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 the last few pages, two pages yeah. are, you know, that was all for naught. Kind of breaking the news. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, uh, let's, Speaking of, um, wait, wait, just a minute. <laughs> we, mm. Your your duties have been thoroughly, thoroughly rescinded. Quit oh, trying we forgot. Uh, Doom, to shoehorn Doom is back. In. Sorry. Uh, there's the theory that Doctor Doom is masked because well, his mask, or Doctor Doom is back because his mask was remote controlled from an outside. Yeah, yeah. Source, I like, I like, which that. is That's awesome. Pretty fun. Doctor yeah. Doom's mask just like going haywire and attacking people. And, yeah. Like, She-Hulk having a fight with the mask. Yeah, I, I do actually, and like Mister Fantastic, Johnny, and She-Hulk all really struggling to take on the mask. And at one point, Reed straight up saying, "Johnny and I don't have the strength to beat this mask." <laughs> That's amazing. Doom's <laughs> mask alone. Is is too strong for three fourths of the Fantastic Four at this I, point. I read an earlier Fantastic Four issue. I just need to recommend. It's like two sixty four or something. I can't remember. It's the one where like She Hulk joins the team. But the first half of the issue is all from the first person point of view of Pacepot Pete breaking into the Baxter Building. Oh Have yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really good. Oh, it's incredible because it's an empty Baxter Building and it's Pacepot Pete being like turned away and beaten. As he tries to break into the Baxter building at every turn by an empty Baxter building. Like, yeah. <laughs> the story ends with Pacepot saying, like, it can't end like this, beaten by the empty Baxter building. Yeah. <laughs> As he gets kicked out. It's it's an incredible read. That um, is a good call out. Uh, that one that one's well worth a read as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking, speaking of well of worth a read. Mask, speaking of masks off, I think <laughs> no. Spider-Man's a big, nope. a big future fan. What? Yeah. No. I, I, F- future? Do you think, I don't think Peter Parker would understand future at all. I guess I do. Right. I think he would like and appreciate Kendrick Lamar. I think he's more into Drake than he wants to admit, and I don't think he understands <laughs> yes. future even a little. Um, okay, yeah, speaking of things fair. he doesn't understand, the symbiote costume really gets its sort of development and origin here in AMS number two fifty eight. Um, not AMSR. That is Amazing Spider Man. AMS shouts to Justin in Slack. Uh, all right, so issue number two fifty eight. Spidey's mm-hmm. got this costume. Before we even kind of get to dealing with that, because this this cover of the two costumes, the regular and the black suit, grabbing uh, Peter reminds me strongly of the 90s animated series episode where they use the same visual as he kind of copes with, with dealing with this new symbiote costume. But again, we don't know it's a symbiote yet. The issue opens with Pete and MJ not breaking up because they aren't really together yet, but having a fight. And MJ is telling him that she knows he's Spider-Man and she's known for a while, which is a good development, I think, in the um, in the world of Spider-Man. As she's doing this and saying, I can't deal with it anymore, who should bust in to Peter's room but his current sidekick 
in the pages of Peter Parker, a sidekick with benefits, I think we can pretty safely say, um, in the pages of Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, which I considered adding some of those issues here. Um, they're pretty superfluous, like in terms of just uh-huh. being secondary. Yeah. But if you really like Black Cat um, or just Spider-Man in general, I would recommend checking out that era. Yeah, she's, she's pretty fun. Yeah, it, mean, well, and I like, interesting... the, I like the Spider-Man with Black Cat as his sidekick dynamic. Like he's trying to turn yeah. her um, on the on the straight and narrow. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's obviously not quite going as planned, but, like, it's a kind of unique, interesting era for them. Um, also, she knows his identity, right? Yeah, like, she knows he's Pete, too. Wild. So at this point... Yeah, she, I mean, she swings do. into his apartment. Uh, so, I mean, the big thing that happens in this issue, I mean, to me, bigger than even, like, finding out about the suit, is that it starts out with Mary Jane being like, yeah, I know who you are, Peter. I know you're Spider-Man. I've known for years. And, like, I yeah. can't believe you haven't told me. And I'm furious that, like, you know, you've been keeping this secret from me. And he's still just like, oh, oh, what do you mean? I'm Spider-Man. <laughs> well, he doesn't Weird. quite deny it the way he usually does. It's more of he like, kinda, he, he just kind of keeps yelling and... like, hey, uh, hang on. Hey, wait, wait, MJ. And like, he never quite denies it, I guess, which is yeah. obviously his usual MO. And it's like, and she's just like, you know, mostly upset that he kept it a secret for so long. It's the secret and, and like, the lying part of it, I think, is often yeah, a way like, people react um, in the Spider-Man and world. And the amazing, amazing moment of Black Cat just, like, swings through his window and is like, hey, Peter, what's up? Yeah. And then they're both, <laughs> um, both MJ and Black Cat are mad, and Black Cat in particular most vocally, to see Peter with another girl, seemingly, right? So it's got that mm-hmm. sort of dynamic. I believe Black Cat yells at her uh, about being a redheaded bimbo or something to that effect as she <laughs> leaves of her own accord. Um, Peter, Black Cat's getting mad at Peter. She's about to leave, too. And then his suit uh, sort of magically webs out at her. And latches her back, which Black Cat interprets as a sign that uh, Peter cares the most about her because he yep. angrily webbed her, <laughs> which clearly, <laughs> clearly is a sign of love. Mm-hmm. So this means Peter starts getting freaked out by the costume and in like one of the coolest sequences so far. Peter is uh, falls asleep, I think, in a chair or something. Mm-hmm. And then we see him like the costume is i don't know if the costume's on him but it like forms around him and he goes out and starts web slinging through uh through the city yeah and then it's like but if you peek under the mask and it peeks through and he's still asleep and it's like yeah this i mean you know i know what this is i know what's going on i can only imagine how cool and weird and mystifying this would be if you if this was fresh the sure. first time yeah it's like such such a cool moment that's why it's the sinister secret of spider-man's yeah. new costume um so peter does realize that the suit has been like doing things. <laughs> He's like, mm-hmm. I yeah. got, you know, I picked up this alien suit. I don't actually know anything about it. That might be a problem. And he turns to the Fantastic Four. Uh, so he f- encounters uh, Johnny, who obviously they have a, a fun sort of frenemy relationship, and uh, Reed Richards in the lab to investigate the black suit. And what they learn are a couple things. One, the suit's alive. Um, it's some sort of alien that is a living thing. And two, Spider-Man can't get it off of his own accord during this thing until Reed blasts him with a sonic emitter. Yeah, he did. He, uh, yeah, Spider-Man cannot get off until Reed blasts him. For he, sure. he can't. He just can't do it. And, yeah. uh, it's, you know, it's good to have friends. Um, so they, they put the costume then in a little tiny jar, like it's, um, mm-hmm. you know, like it's a little frog they caught. And, uh, Spider-Man swings away in the all new costume the Johnny Storm picks out for him a Fantastic Four shirt, pants, and a paper bag <sighs> over his head. That's a really fun, yeah, that's a fun little uh, piece of Spider-Man history. Like, I'm still playing the Spider-Man Bagman. PS4 game, and you get that costume. 
like pretty immediately and can swing around in that <laughs> that bagman costume with the kick me sign on the back. Um, I do yeah, love it funny. again. Torch's pranks are definitely at their peak in Marvel Fanfare number fifteen, but I do like mm-hmm. Johnny and and Pete prank wars whenever we can get them. Yeah, and they're buddies now, which is nice. I kind of like this more than them just being like that Spider Man. I hate that guy. Like Silver Age, it seems like be. real. Well, it's kind of just the way Stan writes dialogue because Ben yeah. and Johnny had the same feel, and, and that was something we talked about recently too. Where it's like in the Silver Age, they feel like they might actually murder the other person whereas now <laughs> whereas now it's like you know it's it's good natured ribbing i yeah. guess more so yeah, yeah. um but yeah it's a good issue it's a super important issue and uh honestly it catches you up on way more of spider-man than like you would think possible in a single issue it's pretty effective i like i like how um the details of the costume being affected by both like sound like intense sound yeah and uh fire here has like enormous repercussions for decades of Venom comics. <laughs> yeah, know? like whoa, 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 just... whoa! You gotta bleep yourself. I mean, I think people b- b- bleep that... yourself before you. you... I'm not gonna bleep yourself. this. What do you think people don't know that this is Venom? I... Some people might not. That's a spoiler. Okay, no, it is absolutely that not. is a That's spoiler. Crazy. Anyway, I I love. If the, you don't uh... bleep this, you're gonna get angry comments from me. And the people I asked to leave oh. angry comments. <laughs> yeah, I can I can take it. I love the details in the Donny Cates Venom. Um, Jeez, now you're jumping to the present about... day. What is this spoiler cast? Yeah, he uh, he talks about like why year. exactly. Oh my god, he talks about why exactly uh, sound and fire affect the symbiote. In like, it is the dumbest dumbest detail that I find absolutely awesome and cool. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. He, I'll, I will not reveal this in the show, but uh, he talks about like, and it's like that's really awesome. That is some that. dumb heavy metal, and I kind of dig I love, it. Uh, okay, it. anything else you want to spoil before we move on to Thor? Uh, no, no, it's pretty just that for now. Good. Speaking of spoiling, you know it doesn't spoil things that are kept cold, like under the cask of all winters, <laughs> casket of ancient winters. I got it. A cask would be pretty tasty as well. I um, keep thinking it was cask. Yeah. yeah. No. So this is Thor three forty five to three forty nine. It's written and drawn by the incredible Walt Simonson. Also inked. We have letters by John Workman Jr. Uh, the original colors, I believe, are by Christy Sheely. Although I imagine most of us are reading the recolored version. I think it was yeah. circa 2010, 11, maybe, that a digital mm-hmm. recoloring happened. I think it was led by Steve Olaf. Um, and uh, I I had some strong coloring thoughts early on in this book. It, it's, it's a yeah, thing we've, we've talked, talked about, about on variant yeah. covers we, before. Yeah, we've like, talked in kind of vague Well, it hasn't detail, hit but. a series that we've been reading. As uh, This is yeah. the one I think it hits the hardest. Um, yes. My first like couple issues, I hated it. I hated it the fact that this had been recolored and i it's not a it's not an evaluation of the colors themselves or like the comic it's actually i've i've been reading now comics in 1984 i know what a marvel comic from this year kind of looks like and then you throw this in the bag and it doesn't look at all like anything from the era so it just takes out it takes you out of the actual time frame when the comic was published in a in a very strong way what i realized after i had that thought was the way I read this, or I've never read it with the original coloring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the the yeah. omnibus I have is recolored as well. So, like, right. this desire for some nostalgic alternative that is not as clean, and because there's an issue in here that is, I think it's 349, that actually looks like it's the non-recolored version, weirdly enough. Yeah, right. Yeah, we get one here. It's, it's, near, it's, not, it's not nearly as nice <clears throat> looking, 
right? So it's it's not. I feel like you could you anyone who's complaining about it needs to get to this last issue <laughs> yeah. and then read that before they say anything. Although, okay, so I'm totally for the new coloring um, in this specific case because I think it's generally pretty good. There are some choices they make that bother me where it feels digitally colored in the worst way. Like they do some of that like gradient stuff yeah. that feels really tacky um, that I don't think is particularly honoring the original coloring. Um, but overall, I like it enough, so I don't really care. But I also... Like, it would just be nice if you still had access to the original. You know, like, there's no reason... That would be a cool on-off toggle, honestly. If you could just, like, have two copies of this in Marvel Unlimited, and one is original coloring and one is new coloring. Um, because, yeah, some people might prefer it, so... Um, now, this does... Yeah, this I version, I, like I should mention, because I looked into it, it does also. have the Simonson um, stamp of approval. But then again, I... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there... The thing is, it's, like, tough to really compare that unless you are intimately familiar with the first and go back. Like, Sandman, I have the um, Absolute editions of those. Those are pretty extensively recolored. So is the Absolute Swamp thing I have. I think they look great, but then, like, you look at comparisons and you're like, oh, this is really missing, it takes out this detail, etc. But, you know, it's like, I don't know what I'm missing, so I don't mind. My my biggest thing continues to be, I'm reading a Thor comic from the 80s, and there's a, like, temporal dissonance with the way the comic actually looks now because of the way yeah. it's been made up. I, yeah. I The biggest time I, I that, ever had a problem really, with this was um, yeah, with the Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams Batman. And that's so heavily, the version I read at least, was so heavily like digitally, because my first thought was like, oh, he was so ahead of his time. <laughs> this is Neil Adams cat. This yeah. is crazy. And then you realize like, no, it's because 40 years later. So I, it, it kind of, I don't know, it just throws off like, when we are, I guess. I mean, more there, than there's uh, say that that doesn't really bother me. Um, I mean, that just at least that doesn't really occur to me. But I do think that's because you're a product of this era, and I'm a man of the times. I'm older than you. <laughs> 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 um, there's, I mean, there is something to every one of these comics we're reading is vastly different than you would ever have seen it in the wild, right? Like, yeah, before before like digital inking started happening. Um, well, and it's it's such yeah, a weird like, thing to complain about because it's like, oh yeah, I want this on cheaper paper with worse material, please. Yeah, I would like I'd like this like just put a brown filter on all of this. Please. <laughs> yeah, um, a few sunspots. Yeah, if you can. so I mean the thing is, I think I think what really does like bother people is when it feels like the coloring is not bringing. You, I I think a good approach to recoloring something is like, what would this look like under like the platonic ideal? if they had had these tools at the time, kind of, you know, like sure, if sure. Jack, Kir- Jack Kirby clearly wouldn't want brownish colors. He probably would have liked his colors to pop. Right. Yeah. But then to add textures in, to add gradients, to add stuff that's just not there instead of trying to like reinterpret, you know, I mean, it's like translation, right? You want to kind of translate and capture the spirit of it. I want a translator to interject their cheap. own right. thoughts. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like, I, I, I want to know what they people. think frankly because that's a tedious role um yeah so all of that said these comics are the best (laughs) i love this era so much you know the thing that stood out to me the most about walt simonson's thor on this particular Mm -hmm. reread Mm -hmm. uh his his sense of structure and pacing is unlike i think anything we've seen in marvel to date um oh no we're gonna we're gonna fight okay we're gonna the way he jumps from story storyline to storyline is yeah. is kind of mind like it should not work it shouldn't work because it'll be five mm. pages of Thor's story and Roger and them battling Malekith and then we get like two pages of Balder 
<laughs> and it's just like See, if this I was the, if this was a 1977 Thor issue and somebody did that, I'd be like, why the heck are you doing this? But there's something about Simonson's control and craft, and the fact that the Balder story is interesting, it's compelling, and it's going somewhere. Um, it it reels me in. Okay, you're you're taking the exact opposite. Stance. I'm gonna no, not the exact opposite, but I I would argue that it doesn't quite work. I kind of think the pacing is a problem here. Um, in in a way that didn't bother me when we were reading the um, Beta Ray Bill arc earlier, but the weird like here is a because throughout this we have like here is a world ending threat with Malekith. Yeah, do this whole thing. Here's another world ending threat happening off off page for a pa- one page. All Talking right, about back searcher? to the main story. Yeah, exactly. Well, those which connect. I liked before. Well, I mean, eventually it comes in because he's building the thing. I, I mean, I, it, it's not. It kind of feels not enough. I don't think it doesn't feel like he's juggling them quite as elegantly as I would like. I don't know um, that there's a kind of, particular like puzzle master feel to it. Like he's like he's got this thing exactly down, but there's something about yeah. it for me where I'm I'm kind of just amazed with the audacity to jump the way he does. Um, yeah, it's it's not a mess, but like I think even compared to um, Claremont, I think Claremont kind of pulls this off a little better with like. I've got four storylines going, some of them long form, some of them a little shorter, and we're going to weave them all together in this issue. Yeah. I think he pulls that off a little more successfully. For me, I was kind of like, okay, I'm already dealing with, like, Malekith and the fate of the, you know, all the worlds. Meanwhile, here's another little thing going on. And also... <clears throat> I like the scene splitters. Just... I, I like breaking yeah, it up yeah. and throwing in these other... Because that's the thing that about Simonson's Thor that I think can be so interesting is Baldur the Brave is as essential to the reading experience as Thor, right? Like, if, if you're—I mean, yeah, it's not—that's sure. overstating a little. But yeah, yeah. enjoying his story is a big part of building out Asgard, as is what's going on with the Warriors 3, as is what's going on with Odin and preparing Asgard, as is every time we get a splash of Surtur, right? Like, I throw my, my beer I'm not holding in the air and run out in the streets with my shirt off. Like, it's amazing, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> Me with my shirt off in the street. Yeah, super exciting. Um, So I think there's like, he's building this world. He's building a mythology. And to do all those things, you have to drop all these different storylines and threads in there. If this was just purely Thor against Malekith, I think it'd be too straightforward. I don't think these comics would work as well. See, I kind of would argue that it would be a little better if he had, like, each issue had a little bit more focus on, like, here's Thor and Balder. And, like, this is Thor with Balder as the B story. And then in the next one, we've got Thor, and the B story is Surtur building up. And the next one is Thor, and we've got, <clears throat> you know, Odin prepping Asgard, etc. Having just, like, a page of each felt like... I mean, even, this is even doing this where I'm reading these all in one day, let alone month to month. Because I feel like month to month, I'd be like, all right, I got two pages of Balder last time. What happened? Uh, well, that, that's just a problem I, with month to month reading in general. I mean, I think that's, yes, that's the that's thing about true. this Thor saga, though, that I like, is it's instead of... You know, if you call a book Daredevil, it's a Daredevil book, right? So it's got to be, even if you're going to do a Frank Miller Guts Nelson issue where the focus is on Foggy, the the shadow over everything is Daredevil. This is, yeah. you know, this is a book called Thor, but it, what Simonson's kind of crafting is a book called World of Thor. And it's yeah. as essential that Asgard and all of its inhabitants and everyone in the Nine Realms is kind of relevant, right? And, and yeah, it's I was thinking in scope. Oh, I'm sorry, sorry. Um, I was just thinking, like, I don't know if there's anybody besides, like, maybe 1962 Jack Lee, or Jack Lee. Jack, Jack Lee. Jack Kirby <laughs> Stan Lee. I don't think Stan no Kirby gets enough credit. St- Stan Kirby and Jack <laughs> Lee. Um, 
besides them that I would use the word world building nearly as much because that is really a big part of this. I mean, Claremont is... and, and company with X-Men, I guess, but it's it's different. It's <sighs> not mythological degree, That like feels this. just like, okay, this is superhero stuff, right? Like, I'm going to have a new superhero. And, and, and yes, for sure, because he's also doing Days of Future Past, right? Like, he's bringing all these other little mini worlds yeah. that have their own um, set of characters and stuff. So, yes, yeah, I think Claremont also but i think like you know maybe just because it's fantasy also i'm thinking this but like he is just fleshing out this world in both in both story like lore and aesthetic too Mm -hmm. right like the aesthetic of this world is being built up so much with his art yeah um i mean like i have a ton of praise for this like i think this is excellent stuff i think the art um his actual like drawings and his design is excellent no one does a better sound effect bubble (laughs) than walt simonson well so that's uh you gotta give john workman John Workman Jr., the letterer, who does this Ooh, whole okay, run yes. and, and has a, a storied career, the credit there, because the sound effects in this are, like, genuinely iconic. Um, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I do agree with that last part. Um, yeah. I, I do also, there's there's that sense of playful fun and weirdness mm-hmm. that comes yeah. out in these issues. Like, 345 yeah. opens with that extremely strange, thrown-into-the-middle-of-it scene with uh, a man forcing a woman to eat a hamburger. This right? is a weird, yeah. This and it's a, a weird mix issue. No, of it's, creepy yeah. and goofy. Well, that that issue is like, it is. It's a big mystery throughout what's going on. Like it even ends yeah. with the the editorial note of like, you know, confused, mystified. Tuning next month to find out what's happening. And it's a big ask. I'm not quite sure if it is on the right side of intriguing or frustratingly confusing. Like it all, it all does get tied up and explained, and I. I see what he's going for, and I think he's shooting for something interesting, which is that, like, that opening scene really sets up this guy to be the villain, right? Like, he's some nasty guy who just turned a woman into dust by feeding her a hamburger. Right. It seems like surely he is the bad guy. Yeah, and then, like, it turns out that he is the guardian of the casket of ancient winters, and the woman who was, like, harassing him was... um, under the uh, the sway of Malekith. Yeah. She was like a, you know, an elf servant, whatever. And by feeding her mortal food, he, you know, turned her to dust. And he, you know, he's kind of doing a gotcha, pull out, pull the rug out from under you. Same thing he did with Beta Ray Bill, actually, kind of. Um, yeah, a little bit. Except for the fact that, like, the guy is clearly pretty evil seeming where he like monologues as he ties this woman up and he's like i would like to conduct a little experiment my dear have you ever had one of these burgers mm, delicious i'm pref- i prefer french fries myself mm, here have a little bite like he is monologuing like an evil villain well he's so been maybe, battling maybe he... the the fairies all his life yeah 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 they uh, are yeah, his I, nemesis. I, I don't i feel like the uh the twist doesn't uh quite pay off as well as like beta ray bill did for me oh no also, they're not okay, that so good th- this this leads into the the other big complaint complaint i don't know yeah i don't know if he is that's the word for you character i mean you know what like complainer to, i I, th- I think walt simonson is doing great work here these have some issues for me these are not like total they're not wins. they're definitely I, not and i'll agree with you that they're not the best yeah. um stories of this arc or, or of his run, definitely. There's stuff that, yeah, I, haven't I mean, read even farther, the very so. next is better. Um, yep. And it, probably the stuff that is the most iconic is ultimately better. I think what these do well, and, and Simonson's still kind of feeling things out here, right? We're only, by the end of this, we're 12 issues into his run. Um, mm-hmm. So he's had like yeah. a full year on the title. So it's it's not like this is perfect comics. I, I mean, I really the, the stuff he's them. doing that is fresh and new makes these noteworthy and worth reading if nothing else well like all of his art let, let alone the that they I mean work well like they're still very readable oh yeah yeah right like there's yeah. just a good sense of like what is the story why does it matter um I do think I do like 
his introduction and take on Malekith as a villain. I think Malekith's he, cool. He is design. cool. He's creepy. Um, he seems appropriately powered where he would be a threat to Thor. Um, mm-hmm. I also like that he is, you know, trying like the introduction of this new um, mythical ar- artifact, the Casket of Ancient Winters, is effective. Um, it's also like it kind of plays through the Marvel universe. Like I think there's a note in was it Spider Man yeah. where it's like, hey, yeah. it's snowing. Spider-Man Why is that? Starts snowing in the middle of winter. Yeah, that's fun. I really like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, th- the thing I was going to say that I, I kind of have an issue with one, I think his visual storytelling is a little clumsy. At times, it can feel a little like panel after panel without uh, too much of a cohesion, especially during action. I don't know if his action, like his action, is really bolstered by those uh, those word balloons. Those I think effects. it's. I think that's um, often that sort of. Cause, so his, I mean, his um, his idol is definitely like Jack Kirby. I think. Yes, and, I was going to. Kirby I, will I, do the same I, I thing, think, where the yeah, action Kirby doesn't is a, add up panel to panel, but as taken as a yes, whole, it's like, yeah. oh, that's the dynamic like the dynamism he's going for here it's the kind Um, of thing where you're like you need to be reading the captions to know what's going on otherwise you will be like i don't know where i am in space here yeah sometimes there there are scenes where you're like you can get lost if you are not reading the uh the like the narrative captions i'm not saying you should skip there's a lot well written yeah um yeah jack kirby's a good comparison i actually thought that i was like this is kind of like reading 60s kirby stuff again not to the same degree but there's a little of that the other thing is I don't think um, I don't think the characterization here is like the hottest, and that might be you know that's made up for a lot of other things like the plot and the story and the overall world building work really well. Um, the actual characterization here is fine, so so. Like I think Malekith works seventy percent because he's a great design. Yeah, and also his like actual writing, like his writing of uh, like his prose is good and fluid, mm-hmm. but I think like the actual characterization of characters doesn't pop necessarily like. I can almost guarantee you that a full 80% of people who read this, if you ask them a year later, like, who is... Oh my God, I'm forgetting his name already. Roger Willis. John Ellis. What's his name? John Ellis. Roger Willis, I think. Yeah, Roger, Roger Willis. Willis. You'd be like, who? And I'm like, the guy, the, you know, the man, with the, the Korean war vet who uh, was the second main character for five issues. I like him as You'd a character. Like, I, like, he's fine in yeah. this, but he is a huge character in this, and I feel like instantly forgettable and you will walk away from these like i i've read this i completely forgot he is centered in these stories i i Um, i'm not going to pretend i have like the strongest memories of him but i knew he was in the comic um yeah it's i i think the stuff that you're highlighting is definitely it'll be interesting to continue reading through the run and kind of see like does this notably does this notably and more clearly improve beyond mm -hmm. this story because i think it does actually um i also think it's going to this story in particular is like Thor's kind of trapped outside of himself. Like he's on Earth, he gets romantically entangled under the spell of Lorelei. Um, Thor himself is excellently written. Like the dialogue is very yeah, Shakespearean yeah, yeah, the, and haughty. Um, but but, but in a way he's that's also not like, like an absolute slog to work through, which is the most incredible balancing act any writer can do. Yeah. Like if they make Thor still sound true to light or true to that character without it being just like an absolute bore yeah (laughs) you know to get through but there aren't like there aren't really those moments of like oh this is this is thor and this is why he's so cool necessarily in this book um you know which it's a kind of a long story arc to have very little of that i think the best stuff oh the best stuff is like the like you said the world building um issue Mm -hmm. 349 is like a tale of odin and his brothers, his long-lost brothers, yep. yeah, and their tale good. of discovering Surtur and the Twilight Sword and banishing Muspelheim from Asgard. That stuff's awesome. Um, 
and and I think the Malekith stuff is kind of a means to get there. It is probably the toughest thing I'd say about it. They're still very yeah. good compared to oh, while yeah. reading. Right. I do think I've, the run has been. I think the Beta Ray Bill arc starts stronger, and I do think it actually will get better too. Yeah, I mean, compared to the last fifteen years of Thor, more or less, give or take a little bit. Like, I mean, it is an enormous improvement. I, you know, I just like it. Unlike, I'd say Daredevil. It is not quite the unqualified success that Daredevil has been for me. Um, it, but I, I, you know, I had a ton of fun with these. I am planning on reading all of Thor, which is something I'm not doing with most comics. Like, I haven't even caught up on Alpha Flight yet. I'm still like, I haven't read past issue six yet. So, um, yeah. for me to put Thor ahead of that. So here's something that's go. Oh, we didn't talk about the story. Do we want to get into any particulars? Uh, I think we covered the, Thor, the majority. Thor has a secret. Thor has a secret identity now, which is like, well, I guess he got rid of Donald Blake, but now he's got a new one of. Um, Sigurd. Yeah, Sigurd, which is fine, I he's guess. He's a big construction I mean, they, worker. I, the, yeah, the I, secret I like identity that. stuff they, is not my takeaway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they do it's some funny stuff with this matters. earlier where, like, he uh, he comes up with the secret identity. I can't remember who it is. It's just like, here, like, put your hair back and put on these glasses. And he's like, put on glasses? That's stupid. No, People are still going to know who I am. And then he bumps into who was clearly Clark Kent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it was a fun little wink to that. And uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, I like the idea of him living a human life, at least, like, and not this being this stuffy doctor. So that's fine. Like, he doesn't have the dual identity anymore. He just has a secret identity. The Lorelei stuff is fine. Um, it didn't leave that much of an impression on me. Balder is... Um, I had two thoughts about the MCU. One, how dare they do this to Malekith? Like, how dare they make him <laughs> so bland? The yeah. absolute most boring, nothing, good, incredible actor uh, in you that You wouldn't role. know it. You wouldn't know it from, would, uh, from the dark you world. Not, you would not know it. And then also just like one of the coolest designs in Marvel and they just don't go anywhere near it. Yeah, it's one of the so MCU's greatest wastes, I think. Yeah, 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 totally. I mean, like, the fact that he's got this cool thing where he snakes around, like, a, a long, stretchy wisp of smoke with, like, a face on the end of it. Super creepy. Like, yeah, a weird he... jack-in-the-box effect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. yeah, what a bummer. Uh, also, where is Balder in the MCU? That's kind of a weird detail, right? Yeah, no Balder. Uh, which, given the way, movie. given the way the uh, the Warriors three got done, uh, we're good. We're good here. Yeah, I guess so. Because the Warriors three Balder. and uh, what's her name? Um, uh, Sif, Lady Jamie Alexander. Yeah, yeah. Lady I, Jamie. I know people. Yeah, people stand up for her in those movies, but she also was a big old nothing to me. Yeah, she doesn't get anything was, to do. Yeah. Uh, all right. Here's this is we had a whole episode without me raising your blood pressure. I don't and, know if that's uh, true. Maybe came in a little hot okay. on those Thor issues. It's, All right, it's a well, little raised. Here's a little bit more. If I if I had to pick one between this batch of Simonson and the House of Skull, it's a pretty easy pick for the House of Skull for me. Like I, I that actually doesn't love, bother me that much. Okay, I, I that doesn't shock this. me. Whereas Simonson, the Thor stuff was a lot of fun. Like I really like these, but House of Skull, I was like, man, this is like now, all time great Captain America story for me. Sure. Now, if you came in and said the Dematis and company cap run is better than Simonson's Thor. If you went if you went to that level, well, I got to I got to finish the Simonson's Thor. Now we're talking blood that. pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, let me let me finish the let me finish both runs before I get y'all riled up. Yeah. No, the House of Skull is um it's it's quite memorable and it also yeah. it really highlights I think a thing that Jam Demetti's is very good at and that is writing some sort of 80s like superhero horror for characters mm -hmm. that you would not think it would work very well for because he does this with cap here and he's the writer on craven's last hunt which i'm not going to spoil beyond that but Ooh, it's a spider -Man i have story. not read that and i don't know anything about it and i am 
so excited. I didn't know he wrote that either, so that yes. makes me even more excited. It's another example, um, a similar style, where it, the caption writing is poetic and creepy mm-hmm. and excellent. The tone throughout House of Skull is, I mean, you, you feel Captain America being trapped in a haunted mansion, right? Like, it's got that tone, and using that for the Red Skull this embodiment of evil at the heart of all of the scheming and planning here um, is is perfect. I mean, it's tonally perfect, he, I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he does. He does strikes a really nice balance, like a really tough balance of that over-the-top comic book kind of horror pulpy stuff and rooting it in, like, human empathy and emotion. Like, Well, certainly by I the feel- time we get to the Skull's backstory. That's obviously yeah, a, yeah, yeah. a huge, huge theme and a huge player. Yeah, he does. He, yeah, so let's let's pick it up from the top yeah. because people are probably a little less familiar with this one offhand. It's issue 296 through 301. Um, starting in 296, basically the way things kick off here is Cap and everyone that he loves, um, his friends, family, etc. There's no family here, but you know they're like family. They are captured and they are taken to the House of Skull. So the people who are captured include uh, Bernie Rosenthal, Cap's love interest, Falcon, um, Nomad, I think is with Cap initially when they're when they're captured, mm-hmm. and uh, Arnie Roth, who we've talked about and will yep. have much to talk about because the Arnie Roth stuff in this issue is the most, it is the most memorable moments. Mm-hmm. One of the most memorable of the entire sequence, I think. It's also some of the most horrifying Doubly so now that I so clearly recognize that this is one of the only homosexual characters in the Marvel Universe at this point in time. And we, um, we kind of talked about this in the last issue or the last episode where, like, you're like, yeah, I mean, if you know it's there, he's being pretty obvious about it. But, you know, he's not being outright explicit. No, he's pretty explicit about it here. Like, yeah. You would have to be really, really have some blinders on or be really, really naive to not know what's like being talked about here um yeah the red skull like straight up is talking about like his perversion you know men like him were you know right side by side with the jews in the camps like there's a reason that you know like his perverse version of love blah 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 he humiliates him by kind of you know demasculizing that's the word emasculating emasculating him uh, it is a it's a grotesque sort of immaculate emasculation and brainwashing where they yep. basically put Arnie in makeup and make him perform on stage. Um, yep. it, he's clearly like acting against his, like he is doing things that he does not want to be doing, but he can't stop himself. There's yep. a, a Paul Neary's art really pulls this out, but there's just this, like just this awful feeling of, of knowing somebody is trapped in their own body, mm-hmm. doing things mm-hmm. they don't want to be yeah. doing. And then coupled with, literal embodiment of evil Nazi overtones <laughs> of the skull, you know, telling him what a a worthless person he is because of the fact that he's homosexual. Um, it is really, really, like, tough to stomach. It is intentionally so. Like, there's nothing about this that is accidental. Yeah, I, there's nothing about this that makes me no. cringe like they didn't get something. I think the, probably the biggest, like, contemporary critique would be what you raised last episode, which I think makes a lot of sense, which is the sort of nasty habit of killing off these characters um, mm-hmm. just kind of willy-nilly. They don't quite do that here, but they come close. Um, I mean, it's still collapses. just like he's very much defined by being gay and being, you know, tortured for it, right? Like, yeah, yeah. It's like, it, it is a bummer where, you know, basically any representation of homosexuality is not a happy one <laughs> for uh, for a lot of early 
like pop culture media representations. And he certainly gets um, it the worst of anyone. I, there is it yeah. does allow for one good moment of Captain America defending. I'm trying to pull that up right now. Yeah, he's, he's, he's wanna, he actually has like some pretty exactly, good dialogue yeah. in basically saying like basically saying Captain America is not bothered by that in any way, and that Arnie is a strong you know man who is worthy of you know himself and his friendship and others um it's it's important to hear cap say those words even though by the end of this issue it's kind of for naught given the skulls you know the effect of his torture okay so he says yeah he says you know as arnie's being like tortured and he's breaking him out arnie listen to me no matter what the words they force out of your mouth you know the truth you're not a freak you're as good and decent a man i've ever known they can't corrupt your love for Michael with their lies any more than they can corrupt my love for Bernie. Do you hear me, Arnie? They're the disease. They're the pariah. Which I feel like, um, yeah, like very affirming, right? Yeah. I feel like that could be really affirming stuff to somebody who like does is not used to seeing their, you know, like the relationships being affirmed in popular media. Um, yeah. But also kind of tough to swallow because at the same time, you know, you're watching this person be literally tortured and driven insane purely because of it. So I'm, I'm sure people have a lot of uh, mixed mixed responses to it. Yes. Um, the so the is, same process like... of torture is, is then turned on Cap, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Baron Zemo and uh, Sister Knight attempt to do this to him initially, Zemo in particular. Uh, we get his backstory kind of retold, and he tries... They put Cap in a machine that basically they try to make him relive the um the bucky explosion to drive him completely mad yeah and the way basically what happens is zemo's doing this he thinks he's going to defeat cap this way but no cap just kind of pops his head out of the water and he's fine (laughs) so cap escapes zemo's attempt at torture uh almost driving zemo mad instead in the process which is pretty good i mean it it's a real like worn out trope at this point but it still really works on me just that like captain specifically doing with captain america more than a lot of other heroes just that he has the willpower to never quit and never yeah in yeah you know like and it just it works so well here um yeah and this this whole arc really mythologizes the red skull baron zemo um like ties them together a little bit this is baron zemo zemo 2 who is also like hates captain america for also dropping him in a vat of glue, just like his father had glue splashed on his face, except this, like, <laughs> hot glue. <laughs> yeah. This hot glue burned just his face, um, but didn't, like, stick a mask to it, I guess. Well, so his dad mask. his dad was wearing that purple mask when Adhesive Axe was mm-hmm. dropped onto his face, so the mask got yeah, stuck. Right. And as Zemo says very dramatically, that son Zemo says here, um, when it happened to him, when he was being, I think he goes by the Phoenix, actually, in his original appearance, um, he says, guess what? I wasn't wearing a mask. And he shows his, <laughs> his grim yeah. visage. So he wears the mask now just to hide his horribly, horribly scarred face. I, I do think this these comics do... They do the thing of connecting the dots with World War II and Cap stories from those eras without really losing their way and becoming like war stories or sort mm-hmm. of that like heavily trod ground of yeah. you know captain america and the invaders they integrate it pretty nicely into mm-hmm. what they're going through currently i think probably none more so than issue 298 which says the life and times of the red skull um this issue reminds me a lot actually of the killing joke for people who've read it the the final oh, confrontation yeah. between batman sure. and joker where they're just mm-hmm. sort of talking and it's got that weird vibe of like we always see these characters punching each other and at each other's throats and there's that just like unsettling strangeness to them sitting at a table and talking 
to each other, and that's what Cap and Zemo are doing here. We, we haven't mentioned yet, I don't think. Uh, Captain America's aging pretty rapidly <laughs> at this point. Yeah, because there's Nomad poison. Was like brainwashed to poison him with some aging thing that will bring him to his real age. Yes, like yes. That. Over uh, so so Cap is aging. Skull is already old and perhaps on his deathbed, and uh, Skull sits him down to say, "I'm going to tell you my story." And his goal in doing so, so it's the origin of the Red Skull, and lo and mm-hmm. behold, it's not pleasant. Um, yeah, and his goal in doing so is to make Cap hate him even more, right? Is to drive him just yeah. out of his mind with rage. And what actually happens like, by the he end wants, is... He wants this, like, he hates Captain America, right? Like, he desperately despises oh, yeah. Captain America. He is, you know, poisoned with hate. And that's a large through line of this whole arc, is the way that, like, hatred... And, like, clinging to your hate, you know, is absolutely poisonous and consumes your life. And how yeah. toxic, you know, like, how toxic it is to have, like, hateful people in your life. Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why direct I, that at me. I pivoted in that direction. Yeah. I mean, at first I was trying to turn into, like, you know, a, a, a an Instagram self-help post about, like, you need to cut toxicity out of your life. But then it kind of turned into a personal attack. I'd, no, it's a pretty good system of a down record. You got to keep that thing in your life. I don't know. Yeah. SOD joke. All right. I'm not. Uh, I'm not an old <laughs> Going man like great. you. You're not a what? A new metal man? Old man. Old man like you. Don't old man, look at my life. All right. <laughs> Done with the music references. <laughs> I like that you stopped yourself. High. All right. That's enough. <laughs> that's enough of that. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, what? The, what he, actually he wants happens? Captain America to like hate him, and he he's like envisioning this you know, last thing where Captain America hates him just as much as he hates Captain America and they'll both die together, right? Like, he, he wants them die to be, in like, their, bound. Die in hate. Yeah, exactly. Oh, oh, we skipped over this, but there's a detail I really love, which is that, um, you know, in that, that VR simulation where he saves Bucky, where Captain America this time saves Bucky, mm-hmm. Red Skull comes out and is like, exactly, just like I planned. And Zemo's like, what do you mean, just like you planned? And Red Skull is like, you know, basically Captain America got to relive his worst moment and be relieved of the guilt from doing this because I wanted to defeat him at his most pure. I didn't want to defeat him because of any guilt he felt yeah. or, you know, unbridled by any other emotions clouding his judgment. I want Captain America to be like the, the best version of himself he could be, you know, because he might be my most hated enemy, but that's because I respect him so damn much. <laughs> you know, you get that, like, that kind of thing. It's pretty I, good I, villain think. Quite I love good it, villain yeah. think, yeah. I need him pure. Yeah. Um, okay, so Cap's reaction to the Skull story is not hate, but it is instead empathy. And yeah. this drives Skull absolutely off a wall because Cap hears his story and he hears what we hear, which is this... I, I don't come away from the Skull story feeling a tremendous amount of sympathy, but the idea that one could feel empathy for this kid who was orphaned, who was, you know, his mother died in childbirth, his father hated him and tried to kill him, um, who was then an an abused orphan, like, those elements you can feel empathy towards. Now turning towards becoming Hitler's right hand and then usurping him in personally trained by Hitler, like a Sith Lord. (laughs) Which I don't, is that where this originates? Did we not, have we not seen that? Textually? I've never seen that before. No. Yeah, mm. it, it definitely gets resolidified if it was introduced somewhere else. Um, but I mean, this is this is pretty much the tried and true Red Skull origin story that I've seen before, um, and, and his connections to Hitler and the Nazis as well. So I mean, you know, by by the time you get to that, obviously, it's like, well, he's he's no longer a person worthy of empathy. But uh, but Cap still expresses that, and Skull sees it in his eyes, and it drives him to burn the house down. <laughs> he says, "Yeah, he, he's like, I would have let you go. I was planning on letting you go, actually, 
but not anymore. actually. Like, he, yeah yeah who knows um yeah and th- this leads into you know like you get a captain america fighting fighting the red skull in his lair after you know, the apparent death of all of his friends and like captain america does finally let loose and it's just like i hate you <laughs> i hate you i always hated you you know you are like the epitome of evil you are the most black version of you know like the blackest heart that any human being can have yeah as you know as low as humans can go and he starts strangling him and Red Skull, like, is almost, you know, like, happy about this, right? And I don't think it's quite this kind of, like, Joker, Batman thing where he's like, if I get you to kill me, that's the true victory. I've corrupted you. It's got that feel to it, though. It's got a little bit of that, but I think it's also more like he just feels so tight. Like, it feels like it has this idea of honorable foe, right? Like, he's got this big lofty idea of having an arch nemesis and he wants them to you know really just hate each other as much like it, i feel like he wants his hate to be justified by having captain america hate him just as much something like that i think yeah i mean i think with the skull it's like he doesn't want cap dead he wants cap to be like him you yeah. know so it is i think in that regard it's like actually very similar to joker and batman where, where joker is kind of just like i just want you to acknowledge that you're me and if you do that i win basically um, I think Skull's kind of doing a similar thing with Captain America, but his spe- his specificity is acknowledge that you hate as much as I hate and that you are driven by the same sort of bottomless hatred as I am because that's the only way he can see the world, right? Like, that is that's all he has. Yeah, and in a great moment, Captain America, as he's choking him, decide, like, you see, like, the, the struggle on his face, the artwork really sells it, and he relents, and he's just like, no, I can't do it. I can't kill you. You know, I'm not gonna, not going to kill you. You, you know, don't deserve that, whatever. Or maybe not deserve it, but, like, that's not for me to mm-hmm. do. And the Red Skull, like, pulls off his mask and is weeping, like, asking him to do it. Um, and then just dies in his arms, like, of old age, I guess. Has a heart attack like, or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. Like, all that really works really well for me. It all, it all pans out really well. And then, um, I guess, hurrying things along, you get a bunch of stuff. His friends are still alive. The uh, he has a daughter. We didn't talk about that. He has a daughter called um, Mother Superior, with a bunch of adopted sisters who are all teenagers who are aged up. She's whatever. I don't know if that matters. I don't know how much Mother Superior. He does try to throw uh, Mother Superior off of a cliff when he. So part of the Red Skull's origin is he does. No, no. (laughs) There's a girl that he thinks he loves at one point, and he tries to aggressively smooch her Uh to put it as gently as I can, and she rejects his efforts, and then he turns his back on her and maybe the world. Um, but there's also somebody that he decides would be good to breed with, I think, as he says. And yeah, she does yeah. not deliver him a boy, which obviously is essential. Um, and he has this girl, and he go. He, there's a scene of him going to the cliff to throw her off it. But then something stopped him. And he, like, he doesn't say, like, you know, it was, I wanted to be a dad or I wanted to raise her in hatred. He's just like, I don't know why. And that actually emptiness of rationale is actually a pretty good choice it's kind of haunting it's like he can't even explain why he saved his daughter um yeah who knows like maybe a moment of actual you know human human weakness as he would view it you know that he just doesn't want to reckon with yeah yeah Uh, and he raised her in this you know hellish world where she was brainwashed inside and hates captain america but also hates the red skull for never showing her like you know a, a drop of love mm-hmm. right? like she she's never felt any kind of fatherly love or familial love by him um yeah they give him a hate-filled funeral pyre <laughs> god that funeral is so crazy yeah that i mean the moment so she like they get his body 
they carry him up to this enormous bonfire and right before she throws his like withered old body into the fire she spits in his face yeah like spits on her father's body's face and then just tosses him in the fire and walks off it's crazy effective um i mean the other thing jm dematteis dematteis is doing is uh he's weaving through his whole run of captain america there's a bunch of characters who are getting little side notes here um like captain america has a friend who is a conscientious objector who is in a coma because of the red skull yeah um there's another hero called black crow i think is his name um who we Jesse ran black into crow, early yeah yeah if you read right. the issues between the last batch for zach's choice or dean the dean's list and uh and this one you would have seen a bunch of them um but yeah like you know he's got his own little world of characters here and they all seem really well actualized and uh i don't know i, I think that's the big stuff basically he ends up going back to the avengers mansion getting healed up getting returned i mean that that whole issue is very good um but you know it's uh probably superfluous to our our purposes here yeah they they yeah i mean they they are able to de-age cap is the take oh i do i do like the detail is mother superior and her um sisters all break in to like harry him while he's being de-aged and the machine like returns you to your rightful age they were all like much younger and they were like hurried along in aging so they all turn into teenagers which i don't know what that means but they all seem like sad and disabled because like or not disabled i meant like uh deactivated stop they stop fighting because they are now teenagers and they're all like oh man did you know this was the uh the last issue in jam's run no is it yeah that, it was, uh, that makes a I lot think of this sense is 34 35 so him tying up all those ends you talked about it it yeah. adds up because he's done it makes sense point. it does feel like wrapping a bow on everything i wonder I mean, it also feels like the does uh, mark grunwald changing... start next Ooh, that'd be interesting i've, I've never no he doesn't that. there's a gap yeah. um okay that'd be a real like you know i mean it also it, captain america 300 and it does feel like a big monumental this is an event for captain america this is a a change of era. Yeah, it's era. got that thing, and you know it's Marvel, and you know it's superhero comics, so it's unlikely. But it's like if this was the end of the Red Skull and Cap, it's a real good ending. <laughs> like yeah. that's I mean, a heck of a way no to idea tell where that story. It goes from here, so this is probably the farthest I've ever read in Captain America. I'm just so. saying that general, like, if it's a big name character, it's probably not the last we've seen of him. You know, spoilers. Wow, coming from yeah. you, that's rich. You're gonna get so many emails. <laughs> <laughs> about yelling at you for spoiling that. <laughs> My marvelous year, gmail.com. All right. Anything else you want to say? Nope. Great, uh, great year of comics. Good, Good stuff. comics. Next time on what My Marvelous Year, to, yeah. we are going to do the West Coast Avengers miniseries. We're going to do Incredible Hulk number three. Oh, I'm going to dunk all over that. You're West gonna... Coast Avengers. Oh, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. You don't think Some you like are... it? I don't know. I have no idea. Pe- people are excited about it, so I'm just already. So you've, you've seen some happiness in the world and you've thought i need to stamp that out yeah. i need to put an end to that okay uh we're gonna do big old magic new mutants crossover that's gonna be fun including the demon bear saga I'm excited oh, to bill, this that. is bill sinkevitz starting on new mutants that's sure exciting. is and then we're gonna do some uncanny x-men issues because guess what we haven't read any x-men yet this year gotta get to that in part five so it should be a good one as well and uh and then we can move on to 1985 finally but not yet not yet all right thanks everybody for listening you can find all of our stuff and ways to support us at patreon.com slash my marvelous year you can find my stuff at comicbookherald.com you can find zach's stuff at hmm, twitter slack whatever twitter.com twitter.com sure. um yeah and uh disaster piece thanks for the music yeah Pretty good. thanks we like it good stuff anybody else we want to thank Mm -mm. thank you dave 
Thank you, Zach. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> How do we end these? We'll see you next year. See you next year.